Hi, I'm Charles. I'm Christine. And, and we, we eat stuff. Hello, Internet land, and welcome to the podcast, We Eat Stuff and Talk About Things. This is Christine Guthrie here, and I am one half of We Eat Stuff. Welcome. In this podcast, we are seeking out people in St. Louis related to food, cooking, drinking, and eating. Our conversation this week is with Rob Connolly, owner of Squatter's Cafe, and the soon-to-be opening, Bull Rush. Rob had first reached out to us shortly after he moved back to St. Louis last year to introduce himself and let us know about the upcoming restaurant he planned to open in the area. We attended one of his pop-up dinners and learned more about his background and the cool hobbies he does on the side, like foraging. Rob is really a wealth of information regarding nature and foraging, and as he mentions, he's always happy to take people out with him into the woods. Thank you for listening, and this is Rob Connolly. Uh, hi, Rob. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> What's up? Not much. Just enjoying the beautiful weather here in December. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Spring for a day. Indeed. Yeah. yeah. Um, you made a new friend. You're going to steal our dog. A lot of people say they do. But... Dogs know who's nice and who's not. Yeah, they yeah. do. They got the, the radar going. <laughs> Would you bring us a drink? So, you know, I, I like to um, share drinks that I make. Mm-hmm. And this is a Nocino. Nocino is an Italian liqueur. Um, traditionally, of course, this one's made here in America. Mm-hmm. But I've made Nocino every year for the past 12 or 13 years. And what you do is in June, you find walnut trees. And I prefer the black walnuts that are wild mm-hmm. versus the English walnuts that you would find in town. Um, because they're less bitter Mm. but you pick them in June when they're green Mm -hmm. but still soft enough to cut and then uh, you soak them in booze I use a blend of 100 proof vodka and Everclear Mm -hmm. and a little sugar and Mm. whatever spice I do uh, star anise and cinnamon and a little black pepper Mm -hmm. and then you put it in your closet for a month Mm -hmm. after a month you strain it and then you put it back in your closet and let it age Mm -hmm. And traditionally, you would drink it right about Christmas. Mm-hmm. It's drinkable at Christmas. It mm-hmm. gets better each year. So this one's my batch from three years ago. Oh, really? And yeah. I've got them going back again, like I said, almost a dozen years. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I, I keep a little bit of my batches and I, I blend them. Mm-hmm. Because like the, the batch from this year is pretty god-awful. And that could part of that's time... But it's worse than any other one I've had at this point. So to me, this is uh, the the humidity of Missouri walnuts versus having been in New Mexico where it's very arid for the past uh, almost 15 years. So the, the plant flavors are different there. Hmm. And so even though it's the same tree, the, the walnuts, the same nut, the difference in humidity or moisture hmm. makes a big difference. Wow. And it I, I almost... Want to just pitch this year's batch mm-hmm. and try again mm-hmm. next year. 
Um, but I, it, that's hard to do because there's like $100 in liquor that I've got yeah. invested in this. Right. So I want to stick with it. Mm-hmm. But this mm-hmm. one, so to me, this is a young Nocino. Mm-hmm. And we'll see what you think about mm-hmm. what I consider to be a young Nocino. Okay. Mm. Would this classify as an Amaro? Um, I don't know if technically it would. And, and you know, um, cocktails and mixology, as much as I love drinking it, that's not my area of expertise. And, gotcha. and any place I open, I always have someone who, that's their background. Mm-hmm. Let me focus on food and let them focus on yeah. other stuff. Well, so cheers, friend. Thanks cheers. for coming over. The mm. smell's the first thing. Mm. It's just so mm. wonderful. Mm. Wow. This almost reminds me of cassis. Hmm. So as it gets, oh, a, yeah. as it gets mm-hmm. older, it'll mm-hmm. get a little bit thicker. Mm-hmm. That little edge that's still in this one will go away. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people say this is delicious mm-hmm. on um, vanilla gelato. Mm, you can that. imagine yeah. that. Right. Um, oh. And I'm making, in fact, a, a Nocino ice cream for a private dinner mm. this week. That's nice. going to happen next weekend. That's really nice. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Very interesting. You're welcome. You can... You can Tell that I had orange peel in this batch, mm-hmm. and on the back of your tongue, there's just a little bit of that orange peel. Um, mm. But yeah, I think it's a pretty good batch. Interesting. Yeah, I agree. So is Nochino, um, can that include any sort of flavors, or is that specifically black walnut flavor? It has to be black walnut. Okay. Yeah, that, okay. that is what makes Nochino. And again, I, I say black walnut, but I think any of the walnuts okay. would pass. But you can't put pecan or... Mm. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know, acorn or other nuts in mm-hmm. there because sure. then it becomes a different liqueur. I see. And in fact, I've tried to make a bunch of those different liqueurs. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they work. Sometimes they don't. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're poisonous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this past year, I with all the uh, the gum trees, you know, the spiky balls yeah. that are the plague of every front yard, yes. um, I said, you know, let's give this a try. <laughs> and Because when, I like using things that are nuisances or wastes and um, so I, I did my research and um, I always go to this book that has to do with um, indigenous people's medicinal uses of plants mm-hmm. and it's a really thick dry book but it'll tell you what every single tribe uses for each of the different plants that they use mm-hmm. and it's really well researched interesting book mm-hmm. and so I looked it up and sure enough it has a toxicity level that's not good. Mm-hmm. And they use it for a medicine. That's not necessarily bad. Mm-hmm. And the different tribes used it for different things. So I said, well, this year's batch, I'll make it. Mm-hmm. I'll try it. I'll guinea pig it mm-hmm. in a very small amount and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And it's really nasty. <laughs> but time and sugar have a way of doing its mm-hmm. magic. Mm-hmm. Cool. Fascinating. But I didn't bring that for you. Yeah. That's okay. <laughs> I'll stick with the same I, li- stuff. I like to keep the hosts alive. Yes, it's a good idea. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Duly noted. Yes. Is this a really old book? Like, no, this book is fairly modern, and oh, okay. the uh, the author's name is last name is Mormon. M O E R M A N. I want to say it's native. Native ethnobotany mm-hmm. medicinal mm-hmm. uses of herb, um, of botany for healing or something like that it's it's readily available Hmm. interesting very cool okay so we've already been getting a little bit into your interests what you like to do rob tell everybody who's listening who are you so i'm a chef that currently is the chef owner of squatters cafe which is in the grand center arts district and um, that's a daytime concept that 
I open because my nighttime concept is taking so incredibly long to open. And um, when I moved back just over a year ago, it was to be with family, but in the meantime, then it was going to be to open up a nighttime foraging tasting menu restaurant and with a very um, high concept bar to go with it. And um, we've gone through so many buildings on real estate that either we're not happy with or the mm. landlord didn't work out or mm. the price didn't work out or just all sorts of stuff. And so we still don't have that. And so I said, well, let's open up a daytime place in the meantime to keep ourselves going. And um, we are close to a lease on a nighttime building mm. again. If this one happens, we will keep the daytime place going. And the night place is called Bull Rush, which is the European word for a cattail. Mm -hmm. And that's, again, because I like to forage. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Very cool. Um, and Squatters has been open since early fall? Um, it's been two months. Two months? Yeah. Okay. How's that going? You know, it's a new restaurant in a challenging mm. district. Yeah. Yes. And my food really lends itself to the foodie set. Mm -hmm. um, I can do toast and eggs, and we've got a construction project right next to us, and they come in every day and say, I don't know what all this fancy <laughs> stuff is. Can I get a toast and eggs? And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll do a toast and eggs sure, for yeah. you. Mm -hmm. But really, I mean, I'm doing foodie stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, hyper-local. Like, I would be surprised... If anyone's as local as we are, I think Kitchen Culture's probably dueling it out with us. Mm -hmm. um, there, there's some others who might be there, but we're 100% local mm -hmm. of, yeah. of anything that can possibly be brought in locally and 100% made in-house with the exception of our bread, which a friend makes for us using our flour. Huh. Um, and it's 100% local grains. Mm -hmm. So that whole project is challenging because the Grand Center Arts District, which... If you don't know that area, that's the Fox, mm -hmm. um, the Fox and the Symphony. People always think restaurants should only be open when shows are going on. Mm -hmm. I'm open when shows are never going on. Mm -hmm. we, we catch a few matinees, but my thought is there's 10,000 workers there. There's mm -hmm. 60 different arts organizations in that district. That means workers on a daily mm -hmm. basis, mm -hmm. and they need to eat. And when I did the research... And started talking to people. They said, yeah, well, we'll drive downtown or we'll drive further out or we might get delivery. And I said, well, that's ridi ridiculous. Let's mm. bring good food to the area. Um, so what we're doing is it's not high concept. And But one guy said to me, you're underselling what you're doing. You're doing elevated cafe food. Mm. I think that's a fair way of describing mm. it. Mm. Because I, I didn't want to open something that was goofy or scary or unusual. I wanted mm. people to come in and be able to get... You know, bacon and eggs, that mm -hmm. just may not be like what they're used to, but it satisfies in the same yeah. way. So I, I, I think that's fair to say elevated mm -hmm. cafe food. Cool. Um, did you always have the idea since you moved back a year ago that you are going to do the daytime place? I, no. no. I was, I was going to focus exclusively on the nighttime. Uh -huh. um, this was going to be... I'm not... I've been thinking about the term swan song. That has a negative connotation, right? I mean, that's I mean, your final act, I believe. Yeah, right? I'm not that old. But, <laughs> but you know, I, I came back with the James Beard nomination from a really remote town that I mm. never should have been even noticed. Mm. And I thought, well, here I am in a big city. Let's do it and let's have fun. And let's prove all those people wrong who said that's a small town fluke. Mm. 
And I knew that coming back, I was going against the big names from the big cities, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. including many of the ones from here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all my efforts were going were to go into just that. But, you know, it's not that hard. I, people res, Running restaurants is difficult, but it's more the, um, the energy, not the knowledge. Mm-hmm. You know, you can talk to people, have mentors, read books, whatever. And, and I've got 13 years of experience running a restaurant. It's not hard to run a restaurant. So I thought it was more important that my, my team and I stay focused and sharp. And doing a pop-up once a month, which we've done for the past year, that was fun. And we've made a little money. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've built some following and stayed sharp. But uh, we needed to do more. Mm-hmm. And we knew we couldn't do more that would conflict with the nighttime place. So we said, well, let's do a daytime thing. And in mind, we said, when we walk away from this in whatever period of time, not leave it, but mm. when we have someone else running the restaurant for us, it has to be something that's manageable by other people, not just our specific skill mm. set, which is hyper-local foragers with modernist technique. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I, I think we've done that. I, mm. I think if people were to stand in the kitchen with me as I make the recipes, they would say, oh, this isn't that hard. But there's a lot of creativity that went into making it that. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us about your background with cooking and owning restaurants? Yeah, the the last one was it. Yeah. And in fact, um, I never worked a day in my life in any restaurant anywhere. Even as a teenager, I never did dishes. Mm-hmm. Um, when I explain this to people, I, I remind them of the quote from Jiro Dreams of Sushi, if mm-hmm. you remember that great movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, in there, Jiro says, to make great food, you need to eat great food. And it completely makes sense you can't I'm not gonna say you can't but you can't really imagine something that you've never had any experience with Mm. so you can recreate and you can fusion but you can't create new Mm. and so if you're if the extent of your dining experience is White Castles and Courtesy Diner and there's nothing wrong with that it's just you're not going to be able to recreate um, niche or Sydney sure. Street Cafe sure. and if niche and Sydney Street Cafe are the extent of your knowledge you're not going to get Manresa or 11 Madison Park or mm. any of these world-famous places sure. and so um, that's a long way to get to my career before restaurants was nonprofit management and mm. I did that for almost 20-25 years um, always had federal grants that meant I always had to travel either to D.C. or L.A. or Chicago, to the big cities for conferences that were mandatory. And I always had a per diem Mm. because of those government contracts. And um, while everyone else would be nickel and diming and um, spending their money on booze, or or more often they would pocket it because nonprofit people don't make much money, Mm -hmm. I would take that money and I would have a $200 dinner Mm. every time. And I would come back with not a penny to my name, <laughs> but yeah. I, I was having experiences that I never could have had otherwise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when it came to open the restaurant, I knew exactly what I wanted to create. And then I just had to figure out the skills. And over the years, you know, I would add skills to the repertoire. But mm-hmm. um, the other dirty little secret, I have high respect for culinary schools and I see my weaknesses 
and how they would have been resolved by culinary schools. <laughs> but I um, I have subscribed to Cooking Light magazine for 30 years. Cooking Light? Tw- 28 years. Mm-hmm. Cooking Light magazine. Nowadays, I don't think much of it. Mm-hmm. They, they've gone through new publishers, new editors. It's just not very good. They're all about five ingredient meals in five minutes. Mm-hmm. I, I don't care about that. I want quality food that's wholesome. Mm-hmm. But back in the day, up until maybe 10 years ago, all of their stuff was from scratch, no processed foods for the most part, um, relatively easy, but they each issue would have a subject like maybe it's Italian food, maybe it's um, cream-based sauces, maybe it's the use of cinnamon, whatever the theme was. And I would make a recipe every night that was different from the previous night all through the month using that magazine. So every month I would have, I don't know, 20 or 25 brand new recipes, Mm -hmm. which was in the meantime, again, this is before I was a chef, in the meantime I was learning new techniques, learning new terminology, Mm. uh, new ingredients, and all that together then when it came time to be a chef and or think about getting serious about it because I did some catering before and I really focused on desserts and pastries before for a number of years before that it was easier to hone the craft and because I had that background versus think about someone going into culinary school I, I have one in my kitchen right now he's first semester first year and He's completely green, as they say. He, I mean, he really knows nothing. Mm-hmm. And he, everything's brand new to him, which is fun to have him in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you have a lifetime, yeah. 30 years of experience of cooking. And if you're adventurous enough in your cooking, then it becomes easy because you know what you know and what you don't know. Sure. And you know how to get the information. Yeah. Mm. Very cool. Did you cook with your family growing up? A little bit. Um, I was the proverbial latchkey kid, mm-hmm. mm. and my mom said, so I went to Despent, and um, I would get home from school after track or cross-country practice, and my mom said I would almost every day um, make a pot of minute rice mm-hmm. with a big pat of butter on it. <laughs> and that, she says, that's how I knew you were going to be a gourmet someday. <laughs> <laughs> But if you put it in context of the mid-80s, early to mid-80s, we used to do Old El Paso Night. Mm -hmm. And uh, what's the the Asian brand that's like Old El Paso? uh, La Choy. La Choy. We would have La Choy Night. Mm -hmm. Uh, We would do stuff like that, which back then was kind of crazy that was that was the adventurous eaters <laughs> you know versus everyone else who is doing casseroles yeah, and hamburger helper yeah <laughs> and, hamburger help. mm-hmm. and, and and we would doctor our hamburger helper and so we were adventurous mm. in the context of when it was sure um you know looking back we laugh and say well come on really <laughs> old el paso night's mm-hmm. fancy but old el paso in st louis in 1982 mm-hmm. i remember chi chi's when it first oh. became a thing, mm. and it was hot, I don't even know if it still exists, but it was a thing for a while, and, mm-hmm. and how controversial it was, because chi-chi's, well, we know what that means. <laughs> and, but that's that's the early and mid-80s. Yeah. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so, no, I didn't, to my standards today, I didn't cook much back then, mm-hmm. but I cooked every single day, too. I gotcha. Cool. Just because you were hungry. Yeah, it, it was, my mom was at work, and yeah. I, I had to feed myself before she came home, and was not neglect. She, you know, she came home and made a meal every night, yeah. but 
she would get home at five or six and I was home at two thirty or three mm-hmm. starving and yeah. sure. having just run ten miles or whatever yes. and have to uh, gobble up calories. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I understand. But did you have an athletic background or do that in high school or Yeah. Um, all four years I ran track and cross country. I did football for a week. And so, so it sounds so, like my wrestling career before I wrecked my knee. Yeah, I, I would love to see what's an injury, but uh, so I'm six three and now I'm about one seventy five, one eighty. But back then I was one forty five and the same height. Mm. Wow. No, one thirty five. I was forty pounds less. Everyone said you can't do football. You're a stick. I mean, really, I was a stick. <laughs> but I, I was good at it, at least in the backyard with my brother. Sure. And so. I went out for Dismet's football team my freshman or sophomore year. I think it was my sophomore year. And, and it was the summer practice in Missouri. Mm-hmm. So it was hot and humid. Yeah. And I think it was the third or fourth day the heat got to me and I threw up through my, my mask, the helmet mask. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know what? I think I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think I'll stick to running 10, 20 miles mm-hmm. instead of running down a field and throwing up mm. on the sidelines. Right. Yeah, mm. understood. Hmm. So what brought you to uh, New Mexico? Uh, that was work. I had a job offer. So I, I had been in Southern Colorado for a while, too. After okay. I did my undergrad in New Orleans, got mm. my doctorate at Purdue, and then my first mm. job was in Southern Colorado in the middle of nowhere, mm. a little town called Alamosa. It's, um, some people know it because of the Great Sand Dunes Monument, but mm. really it's three or four hours to anything. Mm-hmm. And... Did that for a few years, um, and then there's a bunch of bopping around that happens. Uh, Omaha, Keystone, Colorado, to live the dream of working at a ski resort, hmm. and Lima, Peru, wow. Indianapolis, and then um, that's where I met my spouse, and then um, as he finished up seminary, I got a job offer in southern New Mexico, mm-hmm. and it was an interesting job. The pay was good, and it was very similar to Alamosa. It was a town of less than 10,000, middle of nowhere, uh, again, three hours to any major city. Took the job, and we loved it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love the small-town feel. Mm. Um, I love getting to know people. You know, I think about a restaurant context. I knew all of my customers, yeah. and they knew me, and they would see us out drinking at night or eating mm. at night. They would run into us at the grocery store and peek in to see what the chef is buying at the grocery store today. I, I just love that feel. And it's one of the things about St. Louis. It, people say it all the time. It's the, the biggest small town or the smallest big town, yeah, depending yeah. on what you want to say. Yeah. You, all the time you run into people. Just yesterday, I had someone in the restaurant who had a last name. And I said, do you know so-and-so? It's someone I went to under, undergrad with in New Orleans, hmm. and she said, oh, yeah, that's my cousin. Hmm. <laughs> I just, I love that feel. Right. Um, the nice thing about St. Louis, though, is if I want to get some goofy ingredient, <clears throat> I can get it. <laughs> Versus yeah. New Mexico, where I would have to order it and wait a week, and, you know, maybe I'd get there, maybe it wouldn't, hmm. and in the summer it's too hot, so they can't ship me chocolate, and, hmm. you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. So it... That's the, the beauty of being in a big city that has access to everything. Right, right. So was your job in New Mexico, was that also in the nonprofit sector? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, my, the job was um, access to health care by the uninsured. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of pre-Obamacare stuff because sure. it was before Obama. But it definitely was leading up to that policy. Um, but it, that was under George Bush. So mm-hmm. even then they were thinking about somehow resolving health care issues. Sure. Mm-hmm. And the... 
the route they were going, which again, if you think Democrat versus Republican, and this may not be a fair assessment, but under a Republican administration, what we were concerned about is all the people going into the ER for sniffles. Mm -hmm. They didn't have insurance, so yeah. where do they go? This is before urgent cares existed. Sure. Um, and your your family practitioner, well, that's two or three months wait. Sure. And so we were trying to divert people. That that was the appeal to the business people to say the ERs are losing money because they're having to serve people who can't pay the bill anyway. Yeah. And we have these other providers who maybe they can see them if we can get them funneled that way, if we can find a way to pay for it, which at that time there wasn't. Mm -hmm. So, again, that was pre-Obamacare stuff. And that ultimately led um, to me running a meth treatment program. Oh, wow. <laughs> Heck. What's that like? Well, let's let's end that story by saying <laughs> that's the reason I'm now cooking. Huh. Oh, wow. I, I did that for three years. I loved it. Um, really helped some people. And I had an amazing staff. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the end of three years, chasing grants to fund a project that at that time the feds didn't really want to fund, hmm. um, I said, I'm done. Mm. I want to, And I had just turned mm. 40. I said, mm. I, want to, I want to do what I want to do, mm -hmm. what would make me happy. Because mm. if I die behind a desk writing a grant, that is not a life well lived for me. Mm. And I said, I would rather die on the kitchen floor <laughs> with chocolate all over my face <laughs> as the bowl falls cascading down <laughs> onto me. I mean, you know, my sous chef the other day heard me say there's not been one day since I started cooking that I haven't loved to go into work. Like, I, chomping at the mm. bit to go in. Mm. And he just couldn't believe that. Mm -hmm. I said, it's true. Even on the worst of days, days that I know I'm going to get beaten up uh, by a lot of customers or mm. prep schedule or days that uh, the day after a bad review, those are the worst, mm -hmm. of course. Um, I still cannot wait to get in and start cooking because there's so many cool ideas and there's never enough time. Mm -hmm. um, there's never enough adventurous eaters for me to make the stuff mm. I want to make. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and, and so, yeah, switching from nonprofits to cooking was so easy for me. And, mm. and right now I'm back where I was at the beginning where I'm fighting to pay the bills and fighting to keep up with the work. But mm. I also remember the last three or four years of my last restaurant and how much fun it was because your level of knowledge, uh, proficiency, efficiency is there, that it's just fun. Mm -hmm. And you mm -hmm. and people are loving the food and, and you can be creative and mm -hmm. you know and you know the James Beard gives me a little leeway. I get to be more creative than other people. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you go into Burger King and they start doing some goofy food, <laughs> it's gonna upset their customers. Sure, sure. I can make some goofy food and, and hopefully people will like it. Yeah. Cool. So what was the interest in forage uh, ingredients? Well, that came about because of where I was. Um, we were in the middle of the largest wilderness in the lower 48. Hmm. Wilderness was uh, the size of the state of Delaware. Wow. So it's big. Hmm. And we were just a little town, a little hamlet nestled in there. Mm -hmm. That's old Apache territory. That's where Geronimo hmm. was from. Hmm. It's where Geronimo was captured. It's where hmm. Billy the Kid grew up. Um, it's, it's true old West. And when I first opened, I did the local vor thing and, um, man, I pissed a lot of chefs off saying what I'm about to say, but I opened up in September, October doing local vor, buying farmer's market. The few farmers we had were bringing me what they had. I was getting my meats locally from 4-H kids. That was great. 
And then I get to February and the local hothouse tomato guy brings me some tomatoes like he had been. And for some reason that day, I wanted to bite into one like an apple, like I would in July or August. Hmm. July, I guess. August, they're starting to die off. And I bit into it and it was flavorless and mealy. And I had this moment where I, I said, I remember it crystal clear. Mm. I said, this is ridiculous. Just because it's good, uh, local does not make it good. So I, I really started to look again at why I was doing what I was doing. Am I doing it because it's a fad? Am I doing it because it's going to get me customers? Um, and I think a lot of chefs fall into that trap. They do it because they feel like they should do it. Or they read online that this is the trend for the next year. Sure. And so their heart's not in it, their passion's mm. not there, and it reflects in the food. I taste it all the time, the, just the, the lack of love in food, which if I'm at Burger King, that's fine. But if I go to someplace nice where I'm dropping some money, or even not nice, you know, let's say 20 bucks. Mm-hmm. And that's not, 20 bucks doesn't mean not nice, by the way. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. but you know what I mean, <laughs> a fancier experience versus a more home-cooked experience. You can taste whether passion's there or not. And so I made this big switch. I, I put the word out to, um, n- now he's known as my foraging mentor, Doug Simon. And I knew Doug from a sweat lodge I did once. I only did one once because <laughs> I'm way too um, Midwest for sweat lodges. <laughs> and I knew this guy had lived in the woods exclusively off the land for two years. Hmm. Never came out. And just lived off the land. And I knew his name was Doug, and I knew he went everywhere with his burrows. <laughs> and so, being a small town, I just started putting the word out. Hey, if anyone sees Doug with the burrows, let them know I'm looking for him. And it was like months later, two or three months later, he comes in, and he says, he has no shoes on. He's wearing a burlap <laughs> sack for a jacket. I'm not kidding. He looks like he's straight out of Hobbitville. Hmm. He's a short, furry guy. I mean, really furry. He, if anyone has my cookbook, his picture's in the cookbook, and he, he looks just like I'm describing all the time. Hmm. And he says, I hear you're looking for me. Hmm. I said, yes, I am. And I, So I gave him this story about the tomato, and he said, well, would you like to go out foraging with me sometime? I said, I would love that. And, yeah, I was a Boy Scout, but I never did anything like this. Hmm. I liked the outdoors, but... Quite frankly, dirt is gross to me. Game mosquito bites, I can't stand oh, yeah. them. You know, yeah. so there's a lot of things I can tell you I hate about outdoors. So it's not like I'm a, some outdoorsy Paul Bunyan type. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, yeah. I'm more, I like the cities, the amenities of cities. I like being in my clean home. Mm-hmm. I like mm-hmm. a nice plate on the table for dinner. Central uh, air. I, central <laughs> air more than anything else. Oy. So so we go, we go out and we end up going out four times, one in each of the four seasons, and he would show me the same plants each time. Mm. So I would learn them in all their states Mm -hmm. and constantly eating our way through the woods every time. Mm. And it just made sense Mm -hmm. because I started thinking throughout that process, well, the Apaches weren't migratory. They Mm. were there 12 months out of the year. What were they eating? Mm. They weren't living off of matador beef jerky. You know, and I know they weren't a, a strict meat-based diet. They were eating plants. Mm-hmm. And they had to have flavor. Now, they didn't have flavor standards like we would today where we sure. salt everything and sugar yeah. everything. But but still, they would care that things have flavor. And so 
um, Doug really, he showed me in the end, I think it was, I don't know, 60 or 70 different edible plants in the area. And it just made sense. Now we're talking hyper-seasonal. We're talking about how do you plan ahead because this plant only comes up for one month out of the year mm, and you wow. want to serve it as long as you can or um, how can we cure things, dry things, powderize, turn them into oils, mm. you know, what, all these different things that we can do. It forces you to be creative and resourceful. Mm. And as a chef, how fun is that? Mm -hmm. um, there's a place I was at early on here in St. Louis when I first came back just to keep money flowing and they had the same ingredients every single week. Mm. And the staff, they're great staff, putting out great food, but you could just tell they're like, oh my God, here we go again. <laughs> Let's make the mirepoix one more time. <laughs> you know, and, so, and they were just tired of it. And that's hard in an industry where you're working ridiculous hours mm. in a hot environment, high stress, with angry customers. Yes. They're not always angry, but you only takes one out of the hundred and you oh, yeah. your whole night is focused on that one. Yeah. Um, it's a hard business. Mm -hmm. And it, and so it go, goes back to what I said. If you can't do what you love, it's hard to survive. And I, I watch these mm -hmm. chefs that fizzle out after five years, ten years, mm -hmm. or worse, they become bitter. Sure, yeah. And, you know, there I think about the one... Um, person who's contrary to that in town that I just, I'm, I'm, I'm so impressed and fascinated with him. And that's Rex Hale. Um, Great you know, guy. What an amazing guy. And, yeah. and here's the thing. When people talk about the farm to table movement, and I think about the chefs in town who are doing it, mm -hmm. and who's doing it legitimately versus bullshit, and who's doing it just a little bit here and there versus hardcore, mm -hmm. and who's done it for one year versus ten years, mm -hmm. Rex passes yeah. the test. Yeah, that's why it's not a boundary anymore. They want to stop using the local stuff. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, that's, that's amazing uh, ethical fortitude right there. Yeah. I gotta say. Be because he can go to any restaurant he wants and he can make that philosophy work. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if management says, nope, you're using Cisco only, okay, guess what? He's out of there. Yeah. And that's a hard decision. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I. I'm not that young, and he's not much older than me. Mm. Uh, you know, being nice about our ages, but in in this field, we're both on the upper end of the spectrum. Sure. And to make that kind of career move is scary as shit. Sure. And the thing is, he's proven himself. Mm -hmm. He could go anywhere in this city and do just fine. Sure. Um, but he he also has. It's clear he has standards or expectations. For output, like I can't see him today going in doing a project like mine. Hey, I'm gonna feed 15 people today and be happy with it. Sure. He wants to do bigger. He wants sure. to. He wants to feed the masses, yeah. and he wants to feed the masses good food. Um, me, I can't do the masses. I've tried it. I'm not good at it. Hmm. I'm more the artistic, you know, let's hand touch everything that everyone needs <laughs> type of guy. Mm -hmm. so, so anyway, the question was about how I got into foraging, and, and that's ultimately it. And hmm. Um, I haven't looked back. I can't imagine any more um, buying crappy food. Yeah. I just, I, sure. I can't do it because I know too much. Mm. If wow. someone would be interested in sort of delving into that themselves, do you have books or resources or recommendations that they could seek out? Yeah, I, in our current time, I actually would recommend a Facebook group. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of books. Some are better than others. You can go to the library or buy them and get 20 books mm -hmm. and you'll learn stuff. 
Um, but there's so two things, and really the overarching idea is get a mentor, mm-hmm. just like I did. It's mm-hmm. the best way to learn because in a book, a nettle and a stinging nettle may look identical, mm-hmm. and they're not the same. Mm-hmm. Now, they're both edible, mm-hmm. but they're not the same, and you're going to suffer the consequences if wow, you don't wow. know the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, mushrooms are so tricky. Oh, yeah. They can be really easy with experience, but they're... They're also tricky enough that they could kill you. They certainly can do liver damage and other um, things. Mm-hmm. But by having a mentor, I, I would say one of two things. Reach out to people you know who forge. I take people out all the time. My sous chef takes people mm-hmm. out all the time. We love doing it mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, honestly, we're in the woods by ourselves. It gets lonely, and it's nice to have mm-hmm. someone to talk to. Sure. And anytime someone shows interest in your passion, it's fun to talk about, right? Mm-hmm. The other, though, as I mentioned, was um, on Facebook. There's a couple pages. The primary one is called Wild Edibles of Missouri, I think. If you do Wild Edibles, the algorithm will know you're in Missouri and get you to the right one. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a great resource. Like, really. Mm-hmm. I'm learning so much, even with my experience, because people are posting in real time. Mm-hmm. They're not asking, what is this plant in January that they found in, in June? Mm-hmm. It's a plant that's out there right now. What is this plant? And a hundred people, not a hundred people, 20 people will come back and say, oh, well, this is such and such plant. And people sometimes will just all agree and say, yes, Mm -hmm. this is a chanterelle mushroom. (laughs) Or they may come back and have 20 different recommendations. And what that does is allow you then to go to those book resources and confirm. But generally, consensus is formed because there are people who clearly know more than others on those forums, uh, but they're very welcoming. And I can tell you, every fall, a hundred people post a hundred different pictures of little red berries on a branch. Mm. And every time I'm like, it looks like every other red berry on a branch, <laughs> but there's always one person mm. who says, oh, but look at the, the branch that leads to the berry and look at that little ripple Hmm. uh, on the bark and they'll say well that's a such and such and they'll give the latin name and the other name and and then when you research it you realize wow Hmm. this person's way smarter than me (laughs) they're going to survive in the woods longer than i am (laughs) Um, it's a great resource it's wild wild edibles in missouri Hmm. there is the missouri mycological society page on facebook also that's the mushroom page Hmm. really good also it does the exact same thing And what's nice about that is, so I need to gather as much food as I can because I'm serving the public, which means I need a lot. Um, Back in New Mexico, I didn't have a resource like that, the the mycological page, and so I had to just time it right. Mm -hmm. That's time of year, that's temperature, normally ground temperature, and um, moisture. Well, if there's a little thunderstorm in town but not in the mountains, I wouldn't know, and I would go at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. Here, with the Missouri Mycological page, uh, someone will post, hey, is this a chanterelle? And you're like, what? Chanterelles are out. <laughs> <laughs> and you know it's time to go out. The, the, the most famous, of course, is morels. The first mm-hmm. person yes. who posts a morel, you look at where they are, you know. Mm-hmm. I, and I watched it. They, of course, start in southern Missouri and work their way up. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I see them again, about St. Genevieve County, then I'm like, time to go out. Mm-hmm. And, and I start hunting for my morels. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a great resource that way, too. Cool. Cool. <coughs> How do you spell mycological? Is that oh, M-I-M-Y? Is this a spelling bee? <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm not it's, familiar with that word. It's M-Y-C-O-L-O-L. 
G I C A L. Okay. okay huh. All right. Does that mean it means mushroom in Latin or something yes. like that? Yeah. Gotcha. I see. Oh, cool. We just learned something. See, yes. see people, news you can use. This <laughs> podcast works. Right. Um, <laughs> Rob, tell about um, when you think of Thank the you. word successful, who comes to mind for you? Successful. Yes, sir. You know, that's a broad question because here in town, in the industry, nationally. Mm-hmm. It can be someone you know, someone you don't know. Yeah, a couple people. I think um, successful of people I know, I have an old college buddy who's one of the top uh, PR executives in the country. Mm -hmm. And he's the one who got me connected with the National Peanut Board. Ooh. And which has had some nice perks. The NPB. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, and his success really um, blows me away at times because he's he always had the personality. Mm-hmm. Like he's the schmoozer, but in an authentic way. He really loves people. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's a hard worker and he's smart. But to see a, someone in the circle of friends rise that far. Mm. Is really fun and exciting and you know it's it's um i i just have a lot of respect for him mm-hmm. um so that would be someone i know someone i don't know um i think there are some chefs that i have a, an immense amount of respect for their success they're doing stuff that i would never want to do but they're <laughs> making a lot more money because mm-hmm. of it um i think the chef there's a number of thought names that are going through my head right now but the one that I'm thinking of most is Andrew Pern. Mm-hmm. This is a guy in York, England. Hmm. Um, probably has my favorite cookbook of all. And I, I would bet that my cookbook collection would stand against pretty much anyone's here in town. I love beautiful cookbooks. And whether I use them or not is irrelevant. I just yeah. love them. And his cookbook is gorgeous. Um, mm. And you could just, it's just seething with passion and love and mm. creativity. Um, so, and his restaurant's called the star in the city, mm-hmm. star in I N N in the city. Okay. Um, and he's in York, England, but here in America, uh, anyone who knows me just a little bit knows that Jordan Khan is my hero. Mm-hmm. That guy can do no wrong. Uh, I say without reservation, he is the single most creative chef in the U S mm. Hmm. And um, anyone who wants to prove me wrong, I'd love to hear who you think would go against him because the, the guy is the rock star of rock stars hmm. of chefs when it comes to creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, and where is he based? He's in L.A. Mm-hmm. And he's part of that early days Alinea set. And then he went hmm. over to New York and did WD-50 and a hmm. few other things. And then he went off on hmm. his own to L.A. And everyone said, well, why is this New Yorker slumming it in L.A.? Well, this is before L.A. hit it as a restaurant site again you know it goes through cycles sure um but he's all he's known among foodies and really more among chefs as the guy from red medicine at red medicine he's not famous as much for that as he's the one who an la times reviewer came in to review him he knew who she was as any good chef would Hmm. and went out to the table took her picture Posted it on, I think it was Twitter, outed her as a reviewer where she was anonymous. Now, hold, hold on to your reactions. All right, all right. Essentially, um, trying to ruin her career, but said to her, I'm not going to serve you because this is not the type of restaurant you should be reviewing. You don't like this type of food. Mm-hmm. 
the point was fair. The the method was not fair. Yeah. Um, he ended up not ruining her career, of course, because okay, she was yeah. a great reviewer. Yeah. But he did out her. She can't be an anonymous reviewer anymore, so mm. she does other things. That A lot of chefs know him because of that. Mm. And his point was um, she was very clearly known to love the food trucks and the ethnic dives and the lowbrow restaurants, and he was like the super hot creative place. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, so that's his old story. Mm-hmm. His new place is um, called Vespertine. An architect built the building for him. Now, that's wow. that doesn't sound so uncommon necessarily, but no, he built the whole building for him. Four stories of building. And people should Google Vespertine um, mm. and look at this building. It's one of the most amazing buildings you'll ever see. Mm. And I went to dinner there right before I opened Squatters because across the street he opened a breakfast place mm-hmm. called mm-hmm. Destroyer, like the old video game. And in fact, go to destroyer.la. That's his website. There they have the .la. You say dist- old video game destroyer? Which game was that? Destroyer, the video game um, where you shoot spaceships. Huh. I remember that one. Destroyer. Oh, you're you're too young. <laughs> no, no. I, I was born in 76. I don't think I'm oh, too young. I don't know. Destroyer, destroyer was very early days, and it was an Atari game, I believe. Are you talking about Defender? Uh, nope, it's Destroyer. Oh, wow. I got... I got... Pardon me, folks, I'm going to Google this on air because i got to see this. <laughs> we need live time. So go to Destroyer LA and scroll <laughs> to the very bottom of the website, and the his website for the restaurant becomes a video game that you oh, can shoot. That's awesome. You can shoot the menu. Wow. Mm, so he, shoot the menu. He, opened, <laughs> he opened Destroyer very anonymously and did mm. a super high-end but cheap breakfast spot like Mm -hmm. he's like i'm gonna make oatmeal but it's gonna be the best oatmeal you've ever had or i'm gonna do Mm -hmm. avocado toast because it's la Mm -hmm. but it's gonna be the best avocado toast you've (laughs) ever had and i went there and it it was amazing Mm -hmm. everything was amazing he did that for a couple years and then opened up vespertine this is where again the architect built the building for him so vespertine is a four floor dining experience Mm -hmm. now Hmm. people won't be surprised when i open my place if we don't do an homage to Vespertine because I was so entranced by what he was doing. Not There's nothing pretentious about it. Uh, he's crazy expensive. I won't do that here. Mm-hmm. I think he was 250 bucks wow. um, before drinks. <laughs> wow. But you start in the garden and then you go through the art installation and then you go, which is first floor, then you go to the third floor, which is the kitchen only, and the chef greets you and talks to you about the menu and listens to what you have to share with him and they research all the guests because he knew exactly what I was doing and why I was there. Um, So they pulled that off of social media. Mm -hmm. And then they take you down to the second floor, which is dinner, Mm -hmm. the dining room. Oh no, I'm sorry, you go to the roof you go to the roof, and at the roof they have cocktails and snacks, mm-hmm. and that's an open air roof, but mm. it's framed in by this grid work. Mm. Um, and then they take you to the dining room for dinner, and after dinner, if that wasn't enough, they take you back out to the garden where now it's dark, mm-hmm. and now they have telescopes set up, already <laughs> focused on certain constellations wow. or planets or whatever they are, wow. so you can see them. Mm. Wow. It's an amazing wow. experience. Um, was it worth 250 bucks? Yeah, because of the experience. Yeah. And I did Alinea in the early days. Mm-hmm. People always say, well, what's the best meal you've ever had? Because I've, mm-hmm. I've dined well. 
Um, Alunia still stands as the best meal I've ever had. Mm -hmm. you, you just can't beat those first five years of Alunia. Mm -hmm. This was number two. I put it ahead of, um, now we're testing the foodies knowledge base here, but Inaka. Mm -hmm. Inaka is in LA mm -hmm. and she was, Nikki Nakazawa, mm -hmm. I think is the chef and she um, was a feature in Chef's Table mm -hmm. season mm. two or three. Mm. So, you know, I, I've got enough restaurants under my belt to start ranking them by experience. Yeah. Of course, you can't go apples to apples because they're in different years and whatever. Right. But this was the second best meal of my life. Oh, cool. It was such an amazing experience. Neat. Yeah, yeah. I think I remember your pictures from that. Yeah. That looked like a fun trip. Well, there, there was one thing. I mean, he just gave us a piece of mango. Mm -hmm. It was just mango. Kind of, because he had taken marigold leaves that were the same color as the mango and, and coated the mango in those leaves. Hmm. So when you picked it up, it wasn't sticky or moist. Oh. And then you would bite into it and have that marigold, um, not bitterness, but there's a marigold flavor and then the sweet, juicy mango. Mm -hmm. hmm. It's no reason why I came back and I made a marigold caramel to put on my oatmeal. Oh. Because I said, wow, that is such an amazing combination, the marigold and the sweetness. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah, that's yeah, neat. By the way, folks, listen, I did look up Destroyer. <laughs> it was actually, it's like, it was like Galaga, pretty much. Yeah. It's kind of the same type of games. So yeah, yeah, and I, I, I'll bet you it was like, um, one was probably Atari and one was probably Nintendo. But the spaceship that shoots little bullets. Yeah, pretty yes. much, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a little bit of uh, video game history I did not know. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> uh, Rob, tell folks about where they can find you in person and online so online it, i'm at squatterscafe.com or i actually prefer people just follow me on, on facebook that's where i'm most active i do do instagram as well chef rob conley conley is c-o-n-n-o-l-e-y um, because i have too many friends you have to follow me and then when i see a follow i just friend you mm. uh, if you don't want me to just deny it <laughs> uh, but I you know that, that's where all the fun stuff happens I, mm. I just post on Facebook and I don't do it so much as marketing versus my squatters page or the bull rush page I only post marketing things so maybe once a week at mm. most mm -hmm. okay. my personal page that's where I do the fun stuff you know where am I eating out what am I experimenting with what new ingredient mm. do I have you know fun stuff and it's not all food you get to see my, my pooch because she's at an age where I need to make sure I capture as many moments as I can with sure. her. Um, and then stop in Squatter's Cafe Monday through Friday, 7.30 to 2, and I'll be there cooking for you. Um, we don't have service. It's you, you and me, and, and I'll get you your food. Um, and we love to talk. You yeah. know, I, I, I love talking with people who come in. And, in fact, if you don't want to talk to me, I think I'm an okay read on that, but just look at me and say, I'm with a friend right now. I've interrupted too many dates in my career. Oh, yeah. And I try really hard to remember it's not always about me getting to talk to them. Sure, sure, sure. And so if folks don't know, where exactly is Squatters located? Squatters is in the KDHX studio mm -hmm. on the first floor. Uh, so it's by the Jazz Club and the mm -hmm. Fox. It's on Washington Avenue, just off Grand. Mm -hmm. It's the old Magnolia It used cafe. to be Magnolia Cafe. Yeah. And right. what we're learning is 
Sometimes Magnolia Cafe was open. Sometimes it wasn't. Sometimes mm. they had food. Sometimes they didn't. And we're kind wow. of suffering as a consequence. Oh. But we are yeah. open every day. We have food every day. Yes. Yes. It's really good. Thank you. It's very, uh, yes. Yeah. Very good. We posted some photos this last week, and people were like, oh, my, their minds were blown. Especially by the cereal. Yeah, people did. So, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're always by amazed that. by things people go crazy over. Like, we posted some really amazing pictures of stuff from Peacemaker. Uh-huh. What really made people go crazy was the Hush Puppies. And it's yeah. just like, like yeah. oh, my God. <laughs> this is why I did the cereal. I'm like, you know, if I go to breakfast, what are people going to want? I wanted to hit yeah. all the spots. Yeah. Some people want oatmeal. Some people want yogurt. Some mm. people want the fried egg. Some pe- and so... I said, I got to have a cereal because I was raised on two things. Mm. I think you had both of them, Pop-Tart and cereal. Yeah. I love my Pop-Tart. Mm-hmm. Now, there are, I'm sure there are people who won't like my Pop-Tart, mm. but that's because they weren't raised on Pop-Tarts. If you were raised on Pop-Tarts, mm. you're going to love my Pop-Tart. Mm-hmm. But the other is the cereal. And um, I've been doing, it's not Cinnamon Toast Crunch because that would be a trademark yes, infringement. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It was Crunchy Cinnamon Toasters. <laughs> but I'm wrapping that up and I'm switching. I'm going to play with the recipe tomorrow, actually, to do, um, oh, what's the peanut butter balls? Reese's? Uh, before Reese's. Uh, uh, peanut butter balls. Yeah, I don't know. I'm cuckoo, not Cocoa Puffs. Uh, anyway. Maybe, I, I know what you're talking maybe about. Maybe it's a Captain Crunch. No, maybe. because maybe. those were little puff pillows. Anyway, the, hmm. the little peanut balls, I'm, I'm working on that mm-hmm. recipe uh, because that's what I want. <laughs> mm, I don't know. Cool. And so I, I will always switch the the cereals up to keep me from getting bored. Cool. Mm. Very good. Cool. And then my last question for you tonight, Rob, is for the folks listening, do you have any um, asks or requests of them? You know, um, the whole idea of a restaurant opening, you're either, you fall into one of two camps. You're either in that three block long line at Shake Shack mm-hmm. or you avoid the place for three months. Yes. And what I, over the year, I, I used to be in the latter. I'd be like, well, I want them to work out the kinks so yeah. they have every, so I have a good experience. Mm. And now I kind of take a different approach. I want to be there, if not on the first day, in the first week of the first month, because I know, um, I, I think you know where this is going. I, mm-hmm. I know that they want the support both the financial yeah. and the moral support. Mm. It's hard to open a restaurant and have it be quiet. It's a mm. scary, scary time. Sure. And, you know, it, of course I'm talking about me right now. We're so hit or miss. Mm. And I haven't had anyone not be happy with the food. Mm. And so you start second-guessing everything. Well, is it the menu? Is it the price? Sure. Is it the days that I'm open? Is it the times that I'm open? <clears throat> and so... The, the request I have is not just us, because I have a little um, momentum behind me for my previous restaurants. When, a, when someone opens something and it looks interesting to you, go. And don't expect them to be perfect that first month mm. or even the first three months. But go just so they have the support. And if you hate it, tell them. Just tell them. I've never known a chef who didn't want that feedback. A good chef. Um, I can tell a story of a chef who didn't want my feedback, and they, and they they are now closed. Mm. Uh, but really, any chef who's doing the job because they love it, they want the feedback, and you want them to be better. You don't want complain to complain, right? You want them to be better. Yeah. So show up, 
give honest feedback and allow the chef to grow professionally and give you a better meal next mm. time. I love it. Good answer. Well, Rob, this was super fun. Um, the conversation did not disappoint. I, I was really <laughs> looking forward to this. Thank you for doing this. This was great. Yeah, thank you. Awesome. Thanks so Hope much. Hope you enjoyed the Nachino. Yes. Yeah, it's very good. Hey, you guys. Thanks so much for listening. If you haven't already, could you take a second to give this podcast a rating and review on Apple Podcasts? Your words will help put us in front of more audiences so we can keep growing our We Eat Stuff audience. Thanks! I would also like to encourage everyone to join our Patreon page, which you can find at patreon.com slash weeatstuff. There, you can become a sponsor of this podcast and all the work we do and be rewarded with cool stuff. We appreciate your support. Please join us next week for another interview. But in the meantime, go out there and eat stuff. Bye.